The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of the Keeper Cup podcast. Lucky 13 here today. This is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We are bringing you the super exciting topic of injuries today. Everybody likes talking about injuries, right, Pete? It's definitely the most exciting topic to cover in fantasy sports. Yes, nothing better than talking about the players who aren't playing, who are not contributing to the team, (laughs) who are infuriating you because every day you go look at your lineup and go, I just want Cody Bellinger in my lineup. I just want Juan Soto in my lineup, but I can't use them. I'm just stuck. I've got Bellinger, Soto, and Yelich. Like, you're talking about like three elite outfielders who are on the shelf right now, none of whom I seem to have any clear sense of what's going on with. <laughs> and so this is just, it feels like, maybe people say this every year, maybe this is true every year, but it feels like there's a ton of injuries this year. It does. It definitely does. I wonder how much of it has to do with the shortened season last year, guys getting stretched out. I mean, you wouldn't think those would pop up so soon. You think those would be later in the year when their bodies aren't used to this. I think it's just it's just the nature of the beast, right? Baseball is, is known for having a lot of injuries, a lot of sudden movements. Chad, I couldn't help but think about my community league when you brought up Bellinger because you know, we were talking all offseason about my strategy of like going really hard with pitching. And this was the one league where I felt like strong armed into going for hitting because it was a it's a 14 teamer and I had the 14th pick. And I took Bellinger and I have Cattell Marte and Anthony Santander and Jazz Chisholm. So, yeah, a lot of injuries. Yeah, it's the staff league that we're both in the pitchers staff league where I've got Eloy and Tatis <laughs> were two of my first three picks and at least Tatis is back. But I'm still, I'm glad to have him back, but I'm just like shoulders, man. Shoulders scare me. And I keep worrying about a recurrence, especially because he came back so quickly. And, but what are you going to do? I think the other thing that's, that's driving the sense of so many injuries is, is COVID, right? We're still dealing with the COVID IL. And on top of that, you've had teams that have missed games. The Mets and the Nats missed their opening weekend series. We've had a couple of other games postponed. There's been a lot of weather delays too, which all of that adds up and it starts like it piles on top of each other to to making it feel like, man, I can't fill out a lineup, right? And when you hit a point where you feel like you can't fit out a lineup, that's when you start looking at your IL and thinking, why is everybody hurt? What is going on here? <laughs> but what we really want to talk about today are a couple things. We will talk about some of the injuries that are out there. 
neither of us are doctors, so we're not going to talk about it in any sort of medical depth, but talk a little bit about how it's impacting some fantasy teams and, and how you should be thinking about it. We'll talk a little bit about how you can replace some of these guys, some guys who might be available to you to scoop up in your leagues and, and to eat up some of those games or innings that you've lost. And we're going to talk a bit about keeper strategy and how keeper strategy plays in here because it's it's different. Keeper leagues are a different beast and injuries are, are particularly a case there. And actually, Pete, let's, let's start right there. I think for me, you know, in redraft, and I don't play a lot of redraft, but in redraft, guy gets hurt and he's going to be down a while. If you've got a, a IL spots on your league, you use them. But I pretty quickly at a point where I'm like, well, if this guy's down, he's going to be out a couple months. I'm just going to cut him. He doesn't do me any good, even if he comes back strong. Now, that's not true maybe for Eloy Jimenez, right? I've got him in our staff league. He's in an IL spot. He's not eating up any space in my roster. Even if my IL gets overloaded with guys, he's not the guy I'm going to cut. He's too talented. But there are other guys who we just talked about this before. Marco Gonzalez. I'm a big fan of Marco Gonzalez. I have him on a bunch of teams. I'm probably just going to cut him in a bunch of places. If I don't have IL space to stash him, as much as I like him, if he's out for a while and he's got the he's got forearm issues, right? <laughs> you hear about forearm issues with the pitcher and who knows what it's going to be. So unless I start hearing he's going to be back really soon, I'm just going to cut him. In keeper leagues, it's not that easy. No, it's definitely not that easy. I mean, obviously, it depends on the format. We were talking about how many how many players you're actually keeping is going to factor into those decisions. And I think a good example, one that you brought up when we were chatting earlier, was, was Mike Yastrzemski. You know, Yastrzemski we don't view as a prototypical keeper, right? I mean, he's he was a late breakout, if you want to call it that. I mean, he's barely played a full season's worth of games. But he's a quality player. He was starting to come around, and now he's landed on the IL. To me, now outfield has actually been a little bit of a disaster, and I'd love to explore that a little bit if if we have time. But that's sort of besides the point here. Yastrzemski, if I don't have the IL space in a redraft league, see you later. He's gone, especially, you know, with it being oblique injury, which, you know, we've seen that keep out hitters and pitchers as well it's for long periods of time. So in a keeper setting, though, if you're keeping 15 players, Yastrzemski, oblique injury or not, is probably still one of those 15 keepers. And you've, you've really got to make a decision. Yeah, I think that's right. And, I, you know, for me playing primarily in auto new leagues, salary comes into factor there too, right? If you've got a if you got a $1 Yaz last year, which a lot of people did, and maybe he went through some arbitration, but he's still, you know, five, six dollars now, yeah, you're you're not cutting him. If you have like a fifteen or twenty dollar Yaz, maybe he's not a keeper for you, even though you're gonna keep a bunch of guys, and maybe you are happy to like cut him loose and let someone else keep him at ten or twelve bucks next year and free up that cap space for you. Like that's that totally makes sense. But it definitely it adds a wrinkle in it, and it shifts your thinking even about stuff like, are you competing this year? In a, in a redraft league, you don't have that question. You're never rebuilding, obviously. You're just going for it every year. In a keeper, if you're only keeping three, there's not really a rebuild option. Like you can't, you can't go out and do anything about that. If you're keeping 10, you can. And so you do hit a point where if you've got a bunch of injuries, and especially if they're injuries to those guys that you want to keep, Right. If you've got injuries right now, like let's say you had Eloy Jimenez and Christian Yellick in your outfield, you had gone and picked up Jazz Chisholm as a, a second baseman, and maybe you've got, you know, 
Framber Valdez or Carlos Carrasco or someone like that in, in your rotation, right? And like there are teams the out there. It is. But there are teams out there that have that for sure. And and that that's like if you're in that position right now, you are, you're starting to hit a point where you have to decide whether or not you can compete this year. But you don't want to go for broke and just like cut all those guys to bring in talent now. Like that doesn't make any sense in a, in a deep keeper. And so you, then you start to think about, okay, if those guys are four of my keepers, who are the other six and how can I upgrade them? Who are guys that are active right now that are producing right now that maybe I don't care about keeping, but I can, I can trade them off to someone else or someone who I do care about keeping. And you made a good point that injured guys are a great place to look for keepers. Right. I'm a shark when it comes to things like that. When I see Cody Bellinger landing on the IL, when I see even Juan Soto, why not, you know, say a prayer and send an offer because those owners that are, that are in, in it to win it this year, you know, they've, they've put all their chips in. Maybe this is their year they're targeting in, in the new league, or maybe Juan Soto went down, but their other seven keepers are awesome. And you could offer them a package to bring in Juan Soto that is, arguably pennies on the dollar again not that that many players are going to agree to such a trade but give it a try and it may not work with guys like Juan Soto but I am absolutely willing to bet that there are plenty of fantasy players out there who are able to acquire Cody Bellinger in keeper leagues for not much and he might not help them that much in the short term this season and that might end up impacting their standing in the standings by the end of the year man, are you setting yourself up for some pretty awesome years ahead if you're able to acquire an asset like Bellinger for pretty cheap? Yeah. And that's just a question of how you want to balance this year versus future years, right? I think you're, you're absolutely right. You are not going to acquire Bellinger, even an injured Bellinger, without seriously hampering your 2021 opportunities. Maybe you find, you know, maybe you can go buy him for like prospects or something like that. Maybe you can do that. But in general, if a team is trying to compete and willing to trade Bellinger, they are doing that because they want to get stuff that's going to help them now. And if you give them enough help today to get them to part with Bellinger, you're going to be feeling the pain from that later this year. But like you said, that's not the point, right? The point isn't to make yourself better now. It's to get yourself ready for the future. How do you decide if you're going to make that kind of move and, and sort of mortgage your present to go get a Bellinger versus saying, man, my team's good and I'm just going to wait this out and let that other guy deal with the injured Bellinger? It's a great question. I mean, the, the easy cop-outs are you know, where you are in the standings and, and what the players are that you're giving up. But I'm willing to pay a little bit more to get those elite keepers because I think when when you have such a strong base of players in any fantasy league in any scoring setting, you know you're going to find ways to be competitive. Particularly if it's a if it's a daily lineups league, which you know a lot of people play in, you're going to be able to daily lineup your way into contention. So establish that strong set base set of keepers. That's I'm always looking for the high end keeper sets. It sounds extremely stupid to say because obviously everybody is. But I'm going to put extra emphasis on making sure my keeper set is up there with the best of the others because, I mean, I I think in many ways we overrate the draft. If you can manipulate free agency, manipulate, you know, your new salaries and and make sure you're bringing in talent that that you can use to supplement those stars, 
I think you're really in great shape. And I guess it's what I'm getting at is that strategy in salary leagues of stars and studs, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, studs and duds. There it is. Not stars and studs. Stars and studs. We, we all want stars and studs. Yeah. Getting the hot takes here. That's, on, that's, on that's my, new, my, my new draft strategy, stars and studs. And yeah. the first few rounds, I'm going to take stars. <laughs> After that, I'm going to take some studs. Come back at a couple more stars late. That's I, So I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to fully endorse that strategy, by the way. So, Folks out there, you're welcome. I recommend stars and I recommend studs as well. But studs and duds, I, I think like this is this is not the ideal team. This is not me bragging because I am two and four and my pitching staff is a joke. But I got Yuli Gurriel and Nico Horner both for a buck and Adam Frazier for a dollar in our Ottenu League. Those three are like three of my best players this year. And that's not an indictment on my other players like Mookie Betts and Trey Turner and Alex Bregman. It's like you you can find those players if you're if you're active and willing enough. So I'm always going to put the emphasis on on acquiring those those Bellinger types, those absolute studs, because I'm confident in my ability to build around them. Yeah, I think that makes a ton a ton of sense. I think you get in some interesting questions when you rebuild that have a lot to do with how your league functions as well as how you want to function. That are probably something we should talk about in a separate episode, I think, because a, a rebuild is a whole other thing. And and maybe we should get into that in more detail later. But but these injury cases are absolutely, there are very few opportunities in a deep keeper league to add somebody of Cody Bellinger's caliber. They are basically to grab them when they're a prospect and hit, hit big when they break out, or to acquire them when they're, when their manager is willing to move from them. And their manager's only willing to move from them if they're not producing. And right now is the rare moment when a guy like Bellinger's not producing. And so I do think it's the right time to be poking around, especially if you've got a team that has a Bellinger, a Yelich, any of those high-end guys who are out and is struggling in the standings. Like now is the moment to hit that manager up and say, hey, would a package around these two or three guys entice you to part with Bellinger or Yelich? Would this would this be enough to get you back and up in the standings and to pull some of that production forward because you're you're gonna be missing it for a while? You have to be prepared for a I don't know. The answer I would give is no. Right? If if someone if I have when I where I have Bellinger, where I have Yelich, if people come and ask me that, like I'm probably gonna say no unless they really blow me away with with something. So you have to be prepared for that. But it's the right time to do it because once those guys are healthy, then the answer is Definitely no, unless that team is in you know a sell rebuild mode, which may happen. It's a particularly unique time to to send out an offer for Christian Yelich because he had a horrible season last year, this, and it was it was largely due to that strikeout rate. That strikeout rate has continued into twenty twenty one. He's been awful. Not that Bellinger was lighting the world on fire, but Christian Yelich has honestly been atrocious. So if you're still a believer in him. And now you add on like this back injury. There might be owners out there who are like, I can't. If I can get something for this guy, I'm going to do it. Cease the opportunity because Christian Yelich's a stud. Yeah, Yelich, I mean, it's interesting because his production is back up, but it's almost all BABIP driven. And so he's got this like super high on base percentage and super low for him slugging percentage. He hasn't hit a home run yet. Now, granted, it's only 37 plate appearances. I'm really not sure what to make of him. I think the biggest issue last year was he got super, super, super patient. And looking at his numbers this year, his chase rate is back up, which I actually think is a good thing in this case. 
but his zone swing rate is down even further, only a little bit. But it just feels really weird to me that like he it's it looked like he needed to get more aggressive and he's done it in the worst way possible. But it's also it's 37 plate appearances in nine games. And so it's it's really hard to, to know what to make of that. For me, as someone who has an injured Yellick on a team, I'm not reading anything into these 37 plate appearances. I thought before the season he would bounce back. I still think he would bounce back. But you're absolutely right that there may be managers out there who look at his line right now, which is a high average, a high on base, no power, but a sky high bat bip, and think that they're being smart by getting out while they can. And if if they're thinking that and you can buy low, yeah, it's not a bad time to do it. It's probably the only time to do it. When I said Christian Yelich has been atrocious, I mean, really, I'm, I'm talking obviously about 2020. And when I say it's continued to 2021, it's that strikeout rate. And you're right. It's just right. 37 plate appearances. But it is a little disheartening if you, if you took this guy in the top eight, top nine picks. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, this guy who barely struck out before is still striking out 30% of the time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so strange because last year, like I said, it was, it was all patience swing strike rate from 2019 2020 went down but he was so patient that he was taking a ton of called strikes and his zone swing rate went from 71.2 percent to 60.1 percent last year this year his zone swing is down to 59.1 it's not a huge difference from that 60.1 and his swinging strike rate has gone back up even higher than it was in 2019 so you had this weird situation where last year he was swinging through fewer pitches, but striking out more because of all the called strikes he was taking. And this year he's let the called strikes continue and has added back the swinging strikes again in 37 plate appearances. So yeah, he's, he's in a weird spot and it's, it's one of those cases where like that injury is just super unfortunate timing unless he was injured and like, he's now taking time off to get healthy, right? If, if those 37 plate appearances were marred by, by his it's his back right i believe it's his back yeah, yeah. so which is concerning yeah i mean that's that's scary stuff yeah i, I think the, the upside of it being the back is it is possible that like his back's been bothering him on and off he wasn't himself for the first week or so and like that's what drove some of the issues he's had early this season and now that he's getting it right he'll be fine but back injuries man they can they can go on for years but to me if i'm willing to throw out 2020 for so many players that I'm definitely going to do it for Christian Yellick, who has shown over the two years prior to that, that he's an absolute monster. So if I'm willing to throw out 2020 for him, then I'm definitely willing to throw out 37 plate appearances in 2021. I guess what it comes down to for me, for Christian Yellick is as he's now, he's getting close to 30, he's 29 years old. And now he's had this back issue. A lot of his value in rotisserie is, is associated with not only his awesome hitting, but his speed. And I, I have no idea what to expect in terms of stolen bases. Even if we had a timetable, let's say he does come back. The series that begins on Thursday, I, I can't remember who it's against, but that's when he's rumored to come back. Best case scenario, he's back and he's going to play the rest of the season. Let's just say he's healthy rest of the season. What are you expecting for stolen bases? I, I don't even know how you can come up with a number, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking now at his his combined 2020 and 2021. Between those two seasons combined, in 67 games, 284 plate appearances, so you know, more than a third, less than half, maybe 40% of a season, something like that. He's got a 222 average, 370 on base, 422 slugging, 12 home runs, and six stolen bases. If you assume he can maintain roughly that combined pace for, let's call it, 120 games this year, that puts you at something like 20 home runs the rest of the way, 
and 10 to 12 stolen bases. I mean, that's that's the pace he was what he's been at. I mean, that is a far, far cry from his 2019, where he had 44 home runs and 30 stolen bases. Now, I think what you're hoping for with with Yellick is that he puts this back issue behind him and he does not continue the pace he's been on for the last partial seasons, right? It's only been the, the, the shortened season and then the 37 plate appearances this year. You're hoping that that pace is what goes away and he jumps back to what he was doing in 2019. I think those heights are probably unlikely. I don't think he's going to reach that again. I think you're right to be worried about stolen bases. I think the power will come back. I think that he'll post not the kind of 320s average he was posting in 2018, 2019, but a decent enough average. I think that he'll score enough runs and drive in enough runs. Like he'll do fine there. But uh, I don't. I wouldn't expect a 30 home run pace. I would expect more like 15 to maybe 20. If you get anything, maybe expect 15. And if you get more than that, be happy with it. That's homers or stolen bases? Stolen bases. Homers. Stolen bases. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And for the home runs, I think that I do think he could get back to like a 30 home run pace. He won't, he won't have a full season, so he won't get to 30 home runs, but that kind of pace. I just think he's more like a 30 15 rather than a 45 30, which 30 15 is still really good. And that's why I'd still be buying. It's not the heights he had reached before. And then I think in, in auto new leagues and in, in on-base percentage leagues, you're getting even more value because he will post a good high on-base percentage. He always does. Yeah, it's a great walk rate. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the other injuries that are out there. We talked a little bit about Yaz. We just talked about Yelich. Soto, another sort of stud outfielder. Sort of stud outfielder. That's the... <laughs> another absolutely, definitely a stud outfielder. He, yeah, he's all right. He's decent. I think he's got a bright future. I think so too. <laughs> he's got a shoulder issue. He through all these weird like through all these reports come out in the last week that like oh he's swinging a bat and it's like yeah but he never had pain when he was swinging a bat. He's he never stopped swinging the bat to the point that I think if he had this injury next year where I, when I, or last year when I expect there will be univer, there was universal DH and next year there will be again I think he would have been the DH. I don't think he would have missed any time. Instead, he hasn't been able to throw. He has started throwing now. I think just today or yesterday, he started throwing again. So if he's throwing and he's throwing without pain, I would expect he'll be back soon. I, I don't know. I, but he, he's a guy who, like, I don't think there's anything strategically to think about or do here. You just wait on Soto. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you use the, the top five pick on him, maybe the first overall pick. And, I mean, I don't know. He's, he's probably, like, what, halfway through his IL stint? He could be back any day. Like you said, he's already started throwing. So you're right. Uh, There's nothing here. I think he's going to be fine. It's just another indictment of the National League not having the DH. It's just the worst. And it's cost Zach Gallen time this year. And in a way, you could say, like you said, it's now cost Juan Soto time this year. It's just awful. I think he'd be, even if he had still needed to go on the IL, he was eligible to come off today, I believe. And he's not. And if they had a DH... Even if they were like, look, we don't want you throwing the ball yet, they could find a way to get him in. Instead, they can't. There's been a bunch of COVID IL moves today, and those ones are also hard to, to manage because you don't know how long they're going to be. My favorite of those recently, by the way, was Victor Gonzalez. And I think Josh Stalmont did something similar where they were put on the IL for undisclosed reasons. Then it was disclosed that they were on the COVID IL. And then they were activated and back in the, in the lineup that same day. 
Like I think Victor <laughs> Gonzalez was on the IL for 16 hours or something like that. Uh, so it, 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 was, it was a tough stint. Yeah. But then we talked about this with the Astros and we talked about it a week or so ago, like Altuve, it seemed like who knew when he was going to come back. Jordan Alvarez went out on COVID IL. He's, he's back and activated tonight, I believe. For the second time. Yeah. Max Kepler has been out for a while. I, I've back got him, but well. he's back. He's back today. I think he's in the lineup tonight. Uh, today, yeah. by the way, for those listening, it is Friday, April 30th when we're recording this. So that's what we're, when we say today, that is what we mean. Corbin Burns, been arguably the best pitcher in baseball. And he is on the COVID IL. And there's been all sorts of weird speculation with that because Brewers did a single dose. They did the J&J shot. And they all had their chance to get it. And this is happening far enough after that it is leading to speculation that if he has a positive test, it's because he refused the vaccine and now has found himself shelved. And I, I it sounds like at least he was supposed to start tomorrow, I think. And it sounds like that's not going to happen. And we'll have to see how long he's out. This is the, at least the second case of a player doing that, right? And Jolton Simmons declined to take the vaccine and then tested positive and missed 10 days, 12 days, something like that. He missed a bunch of time. So it'll be interesting to see with Burns, like if you've got Burns on your roster, you're going to have a tough decision to make on, especially in weekly lineups on Monday, because you're obviously not cutting him. Your question is, do you think he's going to make a start next week or not? And I, I don't know, like maybe by Monday we'll know that. But if I'm sitting here right now looking at that, like I have no idea. Right. If, if he has COVID and especially if he has a, a symptomatic case, it could be a while before he's back. It also could be one of these things that he like had a bad cold and he's totally fine. And they've been doing some contact tracing and just making sure and he's going to have two positive or two negative tests this weekend and be ready to go again. And that's exactly the, the, the world we're in now, yeah. because I mean, that's what it was when I saw Alvarez go back on the COVID list after just getting I think he played two games and then ended up back on it. I was thinking, all right, here we go. I'm back in it for the long haul. Let's let's start streaming utility players and or in my in my utility spot, I should say. And instead, no, he's he's back like a day later, whatever it is. So there's so much unpredictability. The only time I do get concerned is if you hear a particular player has tested positive, because even if they're asymptomatic and and they're, you know, they feel fine and they're throwing or whatever it might be they still just literally can't be with the team for a certain amount of time until they pass a certain amount of protocols. So in those cases, you, you know, you know, maybe it's even a little bit better because it's a little bit more predictable, but I, I wouldn't look at it that way. In those cases, it's just, they're going to be out. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you hear that about burns, at least, you know, not to put them in your lineup next week and not to rely on them for next week. The worst case is, you know, with, with COVID because it's a non-baseball injury, players don't have to disclose it. And the teams are actually legally not allowed to disclose what's going on unless the player gives them permission. And so you may get no information, like literally none. And so the worst case scenario isn't finding out today that he tested positive and is out for a minimum of 10 days. The worst case scenario is hearing nothing until 12 days from now he's activated and you haven't known what to do that entire time. Like that's the worst case. So all you can do is sort of, is, you know, wait and see with those. It's it's pretty frustrating, but you do have to start planning for what you're going to do in, in place of him, right? What are you going to do if you don't have him available next week? 
and you got to start finding guys you can stream in his place. And hopefully you have IL spots to put him on. He's another guy where like, you're certainly not cutting him. So if you run out of IL spots, your choices are to find one of your other injured guys to cut or to just sit on too many injured players for a period of time. One thing that you could view this as a positive for Corbin Burns is that before the season started, they said he was going to be, they were going to try to get him to 170 innings. Now for a rotisserie league, that doesn't really matter because innings are innings. If he pitches 170 innings, it doesn't matter when it was, you got the 170. But in those rotisserie, or I should say head-to-head leagues, those points leagues, you might now have him for an extra start in the playoffs, whereas he maybe would have been shut down one week earlier. I mean, I think that they, they're probably, they're looking in the early going here like they could be a playoff team. So I'm sure they would have manipulated it somehow so that they'd have him ready to go for the playoffs regardless. But maybe now, you know, at least at least you have to worry about it a little bit less because his pace has been slowed down. Yeah, that's probably actually, that is sort of the blessing in disguise here is he he probably was destined for some sort of a dead arm type IL stint at some point regardless. And so maybe this just takes the place of that. I don't know. Yeah. So let's start to talk a little bit about how you replace some of these guys. We, we've talked about a bunch of names, but there's some others out there. Cole Calhoun is now hurt. Starling Marte is hurt. Jazz Chisholm is hurt. Yachty Ugh. is hurt. Uh, there's a bunch of guys injured. And so there are a bunch of you out there trying to figure out how you're going to replace these guys for the near term. Do you got some names of players who... And maybe we'll start with like the infield. Are there guys for for someone who's lost a, a Segura or lost a you know Didi Gregorius just went on the COVID IL today or lost Jazz Chisholm? Who are guys that are out there for them? I'm willing to bet that most people who lost Jazz Chisholm, I shouldn't say most, who knows, but a lot of people who lost Jazz Chisholm, like myself in many leagues, went out and added Nico Horner um, of the Chicago Cubs. And he's a guy who's come up on our radar in the past. I mentioned him earlier that I was able to grab him in our auction. He got called up. Ooh, when did he get called up? He got called up on April 22nd. And since then, he has only hit 360 with a 484 on base percentage. Uh, he's chipped in a steal. He stole a base the other day. This is a guy who's not going to hit for a lot of power, which is something that Jazz was definitely giving you. But it's hard to, especially with these infield positions, if you lose someone, if you could just replace them with someone who's good it doesn't necessarily matter the category just someone who's going to go out there and not ruin your week I think Nico Horner is is kind of a perfect candidate for that even in points leagues because he's not really striking out he did strike out twice yesterday or last night I should say but that went with two hits and an RBI a run and a stolen base so he's been really solid for me in Jazz's absence so much so that with Jazz due back soon I'm wondering what am I going to do with Nico Horner because the way this guy's hitting I, I can't take him out of my lineup yeah, and I think, you know, for Jazz, you'll find a way to get him out of your lineup, I think. But you'll you'll have to figure out what you're going to do with your roster, right? And, and that is that is the, the one thing I think is you, you can use injuries to your advantage with a guy like Nico Horner, right? Is go out and get a guy who has some upside, see what they do. And when he comes back, maybe Horner's not the drop. Even if he ends up buried on your bench because Jazz is that good, Bury him on the bench instead of somebody less exciting if, if that's where you end up. It also This is also a case where positional eligibility matters because at least like on Yahoo, Nico is second base, third base, and shortstop. And so if you get all of that eligibility from one guy, he can back up a, a bunch of places, which is really helpful and also makes him more valuable as a bench piece if he really breaks out and becomes a guy you can't get rid of. 
I think looking at sort of the other end of the spectrum, a guy who's a little bit less exciting, Adam Frazier. He's only 38% rostered on Yahoo right now. He's second base and outfield eligible on Yahoo. He's having a really good start of the year, as you as you mentioned earlier. I don't think he's going to continue that. I don't think he's actually a particularly special hitter. But if you lost a guy like Jazz Chisholm, you lost a Segura, you lost someone like that now, and you need somebody to step into a second base spot, you could do a lot worse than just sort of riding this hot streak for a little while and being comfortable with the fact that when your injured player comes back, you can just sort of drop Frazier and not feel worried about it. I would take Horner over him. I would rather I would rather have the problem of too many guys I want to keep than, than just settle for Frazier. But if Horner's not available, or if you already have Horner and still need someone else, Frazier's a, a decent option, I think. I like Frazier a lot. He's going to be hitting at the top of that lineup and he doesn't strike out. So he's going to be getting on base. Not that, not that the names behind him are all that exciting. No kidding. But uh, right, but he does have, like you said, with Horner, uh, that position flexibility. He's outfield and second base. So there's a lot of flexibility with adding a player like that. And I think there, it's not a lot, but there's enough upside to say, okay, I can ride this guy for a week until I get my players back. Yeah, a few other middle infielders who are pushing fifty percent rostered, but still below it in Yahoo. Nick Madrigal going to give you nice average, probably some stolen bases, not a whole lot else, but he's, you know, a guy who can come in and sit in there for a week and not kill your rates while hitting at the bottom end of a great offense. We'll take it. Colton Wong, he is actually having a really good start to the season. He is in a better park than to hit in than he's been in before. I'm really intrigued by him. I think he could be like a 10 to 12 home run, 20 stolen base kind of guy over the season. And he's the kind of guy, he's at 49% roster on Yahoo. I would love to take a shot on him right now if I needed an injury backup. And then Kiki Hernandez plays a lot of positions, only 49% rostered, maybe more in the Frazier mold where he's not a particularly special hitter. I don't think there's a huge amount of upside there. The big question with him is, especially with the Red Sox having, it feels like the Red Sox have just like 30 Swiss army knives that they can just throw out at any spot at any time. You know, the Red Sox better than me is, is Kiki going to play enough? He is. They love him. He's been leading off pretty consistently for the Red Sox. We had Christian Arroyo. We, yes, I'm on the Boston Red Sox, by the way, (laughs) Christian Arroyo started to blossom and they didn't want to take Kike out. So Kike went out to center field and, and that's where he's been playing. He actually crashed into the wall last night. So I'd be surprised if he's in the lineup this evening. He could be though, because a guy who they brought him in, and under the understanding that he was going to get at least 500 plate appearances, at least that was what was rumored. I don't know if that is anything that's official or anything that actually came from the horse's mouth from the Red Sox. But that was my understanding is that he was going to get 500 plate appearances. And I mean, to this point, he's he's kind of earned it. So if he's leading off in front of that offense that's clicking on all cylinders until very recently, that, that's an exciting pick. Sure. And he is he is off today, but I'm guessing that is just the get over banging into the wall day off. <laughs> Not anything more than yeah. that. So those are some infield names. Any other infield names you want to throw out there? We sort of focus on the no, middle infield. Wanna... Any corner guys? Corner guys, sure. I mean, Eduardo Escobar has probably been picked up by now. And actually, it's funny that I bring him up because I just traded both Eduardo Escobar and Nico Horner, like I was telling you earlier. <laughs> but I think if people just sort of like gave up on him pretty quickly because he's never been exciting. He's never been exciting. He's been a doubles, not a homers guy. And in fantasy, sometimes doubles and triples get lost in the shuffle but Eduardo Escobar if he's still available you'd have to probably be in a pretty shallow league to be able to get him he would be a name that I would target but there's no shortage of of options out there JD Davis has returned for the Mets 
and he's been hitting a little bit. He went three for four the other night with two runs, a homer and two RBI. The strikeouts are still going to be there with him. I don't think he's ever going to be the player that a lot of us hoped he was going to be in the second half of 2019 where he just went off. And another name with a lot more pedigree than J.D. Davis would be Austin Riley, who lately has been hitting the cover off the ball. Yeah, Riley made really big strides in his plate discipline last year. I wrote him up at PitcherList during the offseason and was just really impressed with what he'd done and his power dried up. And it's like, power is that man's calling card. He is not, like, that is not something that's going to stay away for a long time. And he picked up right where he left off this season where he just came in and was getting on base, showing really great plate discipline, no power whatsoever. And just as I was thinking, like, maybe this is the right time to go make some offers and try to buy low on him, he went off and hit three home runs in three days. And my guess is his <laughs> managers are no longer interested in moving him. But if he's a free agent in your leagues, he's a really good target for sure. He's a good I like him. You look at the last three years, you know, since he's been in the league and in 2019, we're, we're talking 297 plate appearances. And 2020, 206, and this year so far, 89. Each season, the K rate has gone down. Each season, the walk rate has gone up. That's the skills that you want to see improve. Yeah, for sure. The other corner guy I would look at, Brandon Belt, only 14% rostered on Yahoo. On Yahoo, he also has outfield eligibility. And honestly, like he's just been a really good hitter for a long time. And I don't understand why he's only 14% rostered. He's also got four home runs and two stolen bases already this year. The stolen bases are not usually part of his game, but knows maybe he's breaking some out i don't know but he's well worth grabbing especially as a temporary guy i think he's worth keeping longer term too but at the very least i think you can pick him up use him for a bit if he has outfield eligibility all the better he's just he's a good player he's a better player than i think people realize and that that offense around him has been getting better over the last couple of years and so i think he'll he'll produce i think he'll produce so Let's move to the outfield. We talked about a bunch of outfield injuries before. Who are some of the outfielders that you think are worth grabbing to just fill in? So I had a hard time with this because outfield has honestly just been a disaster. I looked at the name that you picked or one of the names that you put in the notes, and I like that. Adelise Garcia. I'm not going to elaborate on him, but I like the pick. Honestly, the one that I'm targeting in most spots, if you can still get him, is Alex Kirilov. He was just called back up by the Twins. He has not been all that impressive if you just look at the surface. But when you dive into Kirilov's numbers, he's actually been hitting the ball pretty hard. And that's a good lineup to be in, and, and they're going to be relying on him. I'd be shocked if they end up sending him back down just because of those surface numbers. To this point, his average exit velocity is 94 miles an hour. He's only striking out 23% of the time, but he hasn't taken a walk yet. Bottom line, he's up. I think he's up to stay. He's a guy who's been a top, what, 20-ish prospect for a while now. And with how outfield has been, it's honestly, it's just been awful. I tweeted about it the other day. I've been down on outfield. It's part of the reason why I just traded a couple of infielders for Dominic Smith. Why not take the chance on a prospect? Because there is not a lot to chew on in outfield. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. And I think when I looked at outfield, what I was mostly seeing was how do you buy certain skills? or certain categories, right? And like you mentioned, Adelise Garcia, he's going to bring you power. I don't know if he's going to bring you anything else, but he's going to bring you power. And if if you're a team that is struggling with power and has a gap in the outfield due to injuries, there are worse guys to grab than him to at least get some of that power back. 
On the other hand, a guy like Manuel Margot, 20% rostered on Yahoo, he's not going to give you a lot of power, but he'll steal you some bases. So if your team is struggling with stolen bases and you gotta you got to replace Bellinger for the next couple weeks or you've got to replace Soto for the next hopefully just a week or so, take a shot on somebody who can come in and maybe give you give you some extra stolen bases for a week or so. And I think the way I would look at it, especially in a Roto League, right? In a season-long Roto League, if you get Margot, you bring him on, he steals you two bases over the course of a week, that's basically two stolen bases added on to whatever Soto gives you over the course of the season. And so if you need that, it's another way to get it. For batting average, uh, David Peralta is the guy who I would I would recommend. His last four years coming into this year, his batting averages have been 293, 293, 275, and 300. He is at 286 this year. Dude just always hits. He just hits. It's what he does. He's a and he, he's like a professional hitter in the like old school, like Don Mattingly model or something like that, where sorry to bring up a Yankee, maybe the Wade Boggs model. Is that <laughs> better? <laughs> Wade Boggs also played for the that's Yankees. True. So that's true. <laughs> but these, these like, I think about these, you know, you think about like the, the traditional old school three hitter who was your like high average puts the ball in play, gets on base, gets some doubles, extra base hits. Like, He's sort of that, and he's under-rostered because that is, as you talked about with Escobar, that talent is somewhat undervalued, but he's going to hit you. He's going to give you good average, and, and that's really that's really useful. So I would I would go out and look at him. I just want to throw one more name out there, one that I've been kind of keeping an eye on, and it looks like more playtime is going to open up for him. That's a different diamond back from Peralta, who you mentioned, and that's Pavin Smith, who I didn't know a whole lot about until very recently, but he, he got the call because Christian Walker landed on the IL. And now even if Walker comes back, and I'm not entirely sure the situation there, Cole Calhoun has also landed on the IL, who, mind you, I had Cole Calhoun in a few le- leagues because he was filling in for other injured players. So I just keep moving down the line. But Pavin Smith has been really good. He has a, a, a solid my last couple of years in the minor leagues or last year he did hit 291 with 12 homers and 507 plate appearances he's hit he's hit really well he's, he's got a pretty high max exit velocity i mean the stack cast numbers look pretty promising I, I don't expect a whole lot but to kind of bridge that gap kind of in the, the same fashion as nico horner i like the left-handed pavin smith yeah i think it makes a lot of sense i think he's i think he's an interesting an interesting name for sure let's flip over to the mound bunch of pitchers you're still dealing with Framber out. You're still dealing with Carrasco out. Strasburg is hurt. Soroka is hurt. Cueto is hurt. We talked before about Burns being on the COVID IL. Lance Lynn is hurt, although I think he's supposed to be back Saturday. I think he's scheduled to start tomorrow. So still a bunch of guys out there. How are you filling in innings? Sure. This is the million-dollar question. I mean, this is exactly what I feared going into this season. And that's not a victory lap because actually I don't think it's been for pitching. It hasn't really been that bad. The injuries knock on knock on wood because, man, I, I, I don't want to see the pitching injuries start rolling in. But a lot of the guys that have gotten hurt, like you said, are on their way back. I'm looking at ESPN standard leagues and who's owned in less than 60 percent of them. And I could waste your time and talk about Huascari Noah and Brady Singer. But I'm willing to bet the people listening to this podcast, those guys have not been or have already been picked up if not outright drafted and on rosters since the beginning of the season. Adam Wainwright has looked pretty good, but the one that I'm I'm interested in now is Domingo Herman because, you know, obviously he missed all of last year and he got off to this terrible start. And even 
that that recent start against Cleveland that looks really good when you look at the box score, he started that horribly and it ended up being a really quality outing. And over his last two outings, granted, it's Cleveland, no offense, Chad, and Baltimore's offenses, which are not hitting the cover off the ball, but he's been really good. So if there were owners in your leagues who drafted Domingo Herman with some expectations and said, oh, forget about it. This guy missed all last year and, and now he's he's doing terrible after those first two starts. And then mind you, he was actually sent to the alternate site, not because he was out of the rotation, but because they were, I don't know what they were doing. They were manipulating their, their rotation or something like that. But the plan all along was to keep Herman in the rotation. Even still people in your league may have saw that and dropped him. If he's somehow still available, pick him up. And then the only other one would have been Yusei Kikuchi who yesterday dominated the Houston Astros. Um, Cause I finally was- benched him. <laughs> I mean, it, I did too. I did too. I, you had to, right? Yeah. But set almost a no hitter for crying out loud. So Kikuchi, another guy who's luring us back in. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Kikuchi. If he's available, I would absolutely be grabbing him. Herman, interestingly, I was excited about before the season. He had that rough start. He got sent down. And some places I sort of gave up on him. I had one league where I hadn't given up on him. I'd kept him on my roster and then won an auction. It's an auto new league, won an auction for the Cardinal starter, Kim, on, I can't remember what day it was, but it was the same day that Herman had his start against Baltimore and was like, well, I was going to cut Herman to add Kim, but now he's starting against Baltimore. I'm going to wait a little bit. And he pitched so well, I cut someone else and kept Herman and Kim because... <laughs> They're, they're both Thank pitching God. well. So I feel pretty good about that. The other pitchers I would look at, a couple of suggestions here. One, Kyle Gibson has pitched really well. He's at 49% rostered on Yahoo. He's got this new cutter. He's using it about 15% of the time, I think, last I looked, and it seems to be making a difference for him. I don't know if it'll continue to make a difference for him or if it's just a matter of guys sort of getting some video on it and figuring out what to do with it, but he's at least worth grabbing for now. And he is the kind of guy who, if if that cutter is the difference, he's always had more talent than his production has showed. Another starter, Jay Happ, sort of the other end of like, there isn't a lot of upside there, but he's solid. The floor, you know, depending on the league type, his his biggest issue in like a Fangraphs points leagues on auto new is that he doesn't strike out enough guys to have value. But in a roto league, He's not going to kill your rates. There isn't a lot of risk. He's going to probably be fine. He's not going to do a lot for you. He's not going to pile up the the Ks. He could get a decent number of wins. And so I, he's a good guy to ride temporarily, I think. He's, he's not a guy who's going to, you know, Gibson, I think, could make your rotation, right? Gibson, not make it like turn into great, but he could make it as in he could become part of it. So Gibson's the kind of guy you pick him up to in, replace an injured guy and all of a sudden he sticks around for you all year. I don't think that's Hap, but I do think Hap's the kind of guy that you could use him for a month and not, not suffer from it. The other thing that I would look at in, especially in these like Yahoo and ESPN leagues, because these guys are more widely rostered in auto new leagues because relief pitching has more value there. But Garrett Whitlock and Jonathan Loizaga are both pitching really well out of the pen. They're getting a decent number of innings. And they're guys who, if you really can't find a starting pitcher to drop into your lineup, you can grab those guys and over the course of the week get 60% of the innings or 70% of the innings you might have gotten from a starter. They're not going to get you wins. At least they're not as likely to get you wins. They're also not going get to you, get you saves. And so you've got to deal with that. But they're better than having a blank spot and they're, and they're better than a lot of other options they are better a lot than a lot of bad starting pitchers, right? There's a lot of bad starting pitchers who for a 
20% shot at a win, you're going to tank your rates. These guys are going to help your rates. They're going to help your strikeouts and they're just not going to get you wins. They're pretty useful pieces, especially to fill in. Yeah, no, that's a good call. I'm going to unbiasedly recommend rostering Garrett Whitlock over Jonathan Loisega. And there is a, there is a manager actually in one of my really competitive leagues where it's not saves plus holds. And he's still rostering Whitlock because of the reasons you just suggested. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, I absolutely think Whitlock is worth rostering. He he would be my first choice over Loisega for sure. So with that, I think we've covered a lot of names. We've covered a lot of injury talk. Let's jump to your auto new question of the day. What do you want to ask me this week, Pete? I've been meaning to ask you about this for a while. And it's it's super simple. It seems like a super simple function, but I, I could think of ways where like this could actually blow up in your face when you let the computer sort of manage your roster for you. And basically it's, there's this simple feature. I've never seen it before on any other, other um, what's the word I'm looking for, platform. And basically it gives you the option of benching your position players that are not in their MLB starting lineup. So when you hear someone's not playing, it'll bench them. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, but does it does it then replace them with a player who is active on your bench? And do you use this feature? Yeah, it does not replace them. So all it does is bench them. For those who play auto new, if you're looking at your lineups page, you go to your set lineups right under the position players header is there's little slider. Like I said, it says bench position players that are not in their MLB starting lineup. I do use it in some of my leagues. And the reason this is valuable is because there are games played caps for each of your positions in auto new, having a guy get a day off and then come in as a pinch hitter can be really bad. And to give you an idea of how bad, like let's use a stud player, a guy like Juan Soto. Let's say he comes back and then they give him the day off the next day because they're just trying to ease him back in and you have him in your lineup. If he comes up and gets walked, which is a very likely thing to happen to Soto, he will score you three points for that game in a point in a Fangraphs points league, which is a bad game, right? Now, if he comes up and hits a home run, that's great. But in general, you're gonna your your average single plate appearance for a pinch hit appearance like that is is bad. On top of that, you know we talked about this with double headers last week that in the second game of a double header, Mark McElroy got stuck with a zero plate appearance game out of Randall Grichuk because he came in as a defensive replacement. So having guys who are benched by their major league teams to start the game in your lineup runs you the risk of wasting a game playing at that position and having nothing to show for it. So I use that in the first, let's say, two thirds of the season in my season long leagues. So the exceptions to that, the last third of the season it varies league by league, depending on how far ahead or behind the pace I am at games played. Because you do hit a point where like, it's September, you've, you're have you 20 games behind the pace at outfield, you no longer want to bench your outfielders. Like If you don't have a full lineup of outfielders, then you just want to use your guys who are benched and you deal with it and that's fine because that one plate appearance is better than nothing. That's where I would turn it off for those leagues. In head-to-head leagues, I don't use it at all because in head-to-head leagues, there's no cap. The only advantage to it in head-to-head leagues, and part of the way I use it in my season-long leagues, is if you set your lineups in the morning or the night before or something like that, and you don't think you're going to get back to check them at, let's say, by 7 p.m. Eastern, you can use this. It will bench anybody from the early games who doesn't start, which means that before the late games, you can get in there and replace them. So it won't replace them. But you know, if I'm looking, I'm going to go pull up one of my rosters right now. 
I am looking at my roster in League One. This is a bad example because he was already on my bench, but I had Philip Evans on that team. Philip Evans is not starting tonight against John Gant and the Cardinals. Had he been my third baseman, and I had not gotten to check this before 6.35 Eastern time when he is, his game starts, this would have automatically kicked him out of my lineup. So that when I showed up at 7 Eastern time and said, oh man, I don't have a third baseman anymore, I could have moved in Justin Turner, who starts later in the night. Now, like I said, that's a terrible example. I promise you I'm already starting Justin Turner over Philip Evans. I don't want to let anyone think that, that I made that mistake. But you could see this happening the other way around where like my util player in this league right now is Alec Bohm. He is starting tonight, but if he got benched and I didn't get a chance to swap him out, this would bench him and then give me a chance to move in Jake Cronenworth or Josh Rojas who are starting later in the evening. So that is the one case where in a head-to-head league, it might be worthwhile because you you could get away with that. But in general, I use it in my road or my season long. I don't use it in my weekly head-to-head. And I often turn it off late in the season when I hit a point where I would rather just have those guys start. And and the way I use it is if I get back in to check it, it clears those spots so I can start someone else. And if I don't get back in and check, at least I'm not wasting a start on a guy who isn't going to play. That's well put. And and that's that's what I was looking for. I mean, there's a lot of stuff good there, especially that you're not able to check your roster in those days. We've all, all of us have been killed by the early games before where a guy doesn't play and now he's locked into your roster because you weren't able to check you were at work or class or whatever it might be. I was also thinking of just turn leaving it on in my head to head leagues because even though it's only one point, if you go over one because they pinch it, like that actually does hurt your team. Like it, it's, it's going to be minus one point and pinch hits. Let's face it. They're, they're low probability. They have low probabilities of success. A guy's been cold on the bench all game comes in late in the game to hit. Obviously if it's Mookie Betts or Juan Soto, cause they're supposed to have a day off, but they're needed late in the game. You're going to want that one up at bat and you might end up regretting it if you didn't have them in. But otherwise I feel like if he's not in the lineup, get him out of my lineup because I don't want that over one pinch hit. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's, you know, over the course of a season, even a bad player, right? It's like a bad player who is a, say, a four point per game, which is below replacement level, four points per game for any position, really. A guy who gets four points per game is looking at about one point per plate appearance on average. So what that really means in practice is if you take a, a player, let's say that any player pinch hitting becomes a quote unquote bad player because they've been cold, they're coming in trying to figure something out. You're, you're looking at, on average, one point per plate appearance. And so leaving that guy in your lineup, you're going to get two negative ones, and then you're going to get a walk that's going to be worth three, and then you're going to get a hit right across those four plate appearances, something like that. And it's going to work out to about one point per plate appearance over the course of the year. I, I think that, it, it like I said, it depends on the quality of the player. There's plenty of guys who are just like, I don't know. I've got Sam Hilliard. Actually, I think I cut Sam Hilliard today on in our. You did. I just got the email. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had Sam Hilliard. He's exactly the kind of guy. It's like I don't know what to do with him when he's not starting because if he pinch hits, there's like a 50% chance he's going to strike out and like a 30% chance he's going to hit a 480 foot home run. <laughs> and so, and he's not going to do anything in between. And so, like for him, if I leave him in as a potential pinch hitter, he's going to give me you know eight negative ones and then a 15 and then eight negative ones and then a 15. And so 
I struggle with guys like that. I, in general, what I find is I want, especially in a head-to-head league, I want my roster full of my, my lineup full of guys who are playing. In a head-to-head league, if I can't do that, then I usually have at least one good player who I can leave in and say, if this guy gets a pinch hit appearance, there's a decent chance it'll be worth it. And so that's usually how it plays out. And so I'm almost always going to leave my lineups full when I can. So that makes sense. I, I, the one thing I just wanted to add is getting as, as I continue to get more and more used to Otnew, you know, in a, in a, in a regular points league. So like, let's say an ESPN standard points league, right? If I go, if a player goes over four, if there's no strikeouts, it doesn't really hurt me. I just get a zero. And Otnew, I'm finding out the hard way that those 0 for fours, they add up. And that's why I thought guys like Marwin Gonzalez could be useful to me because obviously it's Otnew, it's super deep. And I guess I'm getting way off topic from the question. But I mean, again, the question came down to like nitpicking a point here, a point there. It, it adds up. Those 0 for fours, even without strikeouts, they're just they're just killer. Yeah, those days where a guy goes like 0 for 3 with a walk and gets a zero instead of the 0 for 4 and gets negative 4 feels so much it's better. <laughs> it feels like <laughs> it just it feels different. And the the thing that ends up happening it's challenging with that scoring system is you have these high variance guys. Like I had this conversation with someone on the Auto News Slack community the other day, this guy Joe Katz, who I commented that I thought I had benched Fran Mill the other night when he he went off. He had a home run and a double, and I think he stole a base. So like he had just some ridiculous night, <laughs> and I thought I had benched him. And it was just a night where like he was facing Maeda. I had Jesse Winker in that league, and he was facing Walker Bueller. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. And his comment was, "You can't bench a high variance guy like Fran Mill." And his point was, Fran Mill ends up at five to six points per game over the course of the season, but he does it by going. 30, negative four, negative four, three, negative four, three, 30, right? And he, and and if you miss that 30 because you benched him, now you've lost a ton of his value. And so if you're going to yeah. draft a high variance guy like that, you just got to use him. You got you to be committed to using him every day because the reality is, and I think Framel's a great example of this, the fact that he's facing, I mean, Maeda has been bad, which is a whole different story, but the fact that he's facing an ace doesn't really matter. Because if he gets a hold of one, he gets a hold of one <laughs> and, and he can, right? And so, whereas like your low power, high on base guys, like a Luisa Rise, he's going to get you his, you know, four to five or his five points a game by going four, six, three, eight, five, two, seven, ten, right? He's going to bounce around in that tighter range. That's probably a little That's extreme. A but if you bench him, you're unlikely to miss a 30 point game. And yeah, you might miss an 0 for... Like if you if you bench him because he's facing someone tough and he goes 0 for 4, great. If he ends up having a good day and gets 8 points, that sucks that you lost it, but it's not the end of the world. And so I thought that was an interesting point. And that also, I think, then factors into those pinch hit appearances and guys who I might leave in the lineup. Because if the Indians bring in Fran Mill as a pinch hitter on what was supposed to be his off day, they are bringing him in to face a lefty reliever that he can destroy because they need a home run. And there is an awfully good chance, relatively speaking, that he can deliver that. And so those kind of guys, I'm maybe a little bit more willing to take a risk with because the the upside is big. I don't know. It varies. We could have a whole conversation about that that (laughs) topic, it seems. So, But I think that we've probably talked about it enough for now. 
I think we've talked enough about injuries. I don't want to think about injuries anymore. It is Friday afternoon here in Seattle. It is sunny. I'm getting ready to go to my son's baseball game, and I am right. I'm done, man. It's time to just enjoy the weekend. I hope everyone else has had a great weekend by the time you listen to this on Monday. Hope it is sunny and beautiful where you are as well. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe anywhere podcasts are subscribable. Leave us ratings, leave us reviews, send us feedback on Twitter at keep or cut. That's cut with a K. You can also reach us individually at Pete B baseball and at Chad young. We'd love to hear from you. Love to get your questions. Love to know what you want to hear in the show. And we hope to hear from you soon. Talk to you next week.